Jesus said, the one who loses his life for my name's sake will find it. And of course, this morning, uh, the theme is the greatest choice in life. And you'll be able to follow along on the overhead to think about this choice that we're going to look at in Joshua chapter 24. But we live in America, and we don't know what it's like to suffer like the video you just watched. Uh, We're in comfort, and we don't realize that when they make the greatest choice in life to serve Jesus, they know it may cost them their life. We rarely, if ever, face that kind of persecution for the cause of Christ. But all of life is full of choices. From the moment you get up in the morning uh, till you lay your head on your pillow at night, there are choices that all of us have to make, one choice after another. Now, there are some choices that are not really important, right? They're not crucial. Like, for instance, if Blake chose to eat oatmeal this morning over grits. Now, that's an affront to my southern heritage, right? Because I'd rather have the grits, okay? But I will eat oatmeal. But that's not a crucial decision. If you chose to wear a tie today or not to wear a tie today... That's really not important. Although I like to wear a tie, I like to preach in a suit. You just got to get used to it. It's the way I want to dress, all right? You don't have to, okay? It really is not a crucial thing. There are, however, some choices in life that are absolutely crucial and critical. The choice, for instance, that of this, what will you do with your life? Some of you college students haven't figured that out yet, right? Maybe you're in your fourth year and you still haven't figured out what you're going to do with your life, but that's important. What's my vocation going to be? Where are you going to live? I need to know that right now, right? I'm temporarily uh, temporarily renting, but those are things we have to think about. Guys, who are you going to marry? Guys and girls, that's very crucial, right? You don't want to get that wrong, so that's a crucial decision in life. Satra, the French philosopher, once said, you make your choices. Come on, y'all didn't take philosophy? Timothy knows this. And your choices make you. And the reality is this morning, if you make good choices, you're sitting in your pew thinking, I'm all right. I've done pretty well. But if you've made bad choices, you probably think to the contrary as I'm talking about this sermon and introducing it to you. You're thinking about the choices you made in life. Now, of all the choices you make in life, the most critical one is not where you will live. It's not where you will work. It's not who you will marry. Who you will marry is this. Will your life count for Jesus Christ? That's critical. That is the most important, greatest decision, greatest choice you will ever make in life. And really, it comes down to, I have decided to follow Jesus. I have committed my life to the King. I belong to Him. That is the critical, most important decision you will ever make in life. We're going to talk about that from an Old Testament perspective, but just as important as it would be given to you if I were preaching from the New Testament today. Joshua chapter 24, beginning in verse 14. If you'd like to stand in honor of the Word, I'd appreciate it. But please, listen, if you can't, you don't have to, okay? It's a little bit of a lengthy read, but not too long. Joshua chapter 24, beginning at verse 14. Joshua is 110 years of age. This is a covenant renewal message. He's dying, okay? Judges chapter 1, he's going to die. 
But it's a little different for me, and it's a little different for you today, because we need all to make a covenant renewal. You need these all the time in your life. It ought to be a, probably a monthly thing where you reestablish the commitment that you once made to Jesus. And of course, here's what Joshua says, Now therefore fear the Lord and serve Him in faithfulness. Put away the gods that your fathers served beyond the river, that would be Mesopotamia, and in Egypt, and serve the Lord. And if it is evil, uh, NLT, undesirable, or you're unwilling in your eyes to serve the Lord, choose you this day whom you will serve, whether the gods your father served in the region beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you now dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. You don't have to look too far. He's very unambiguous. He's telling you where he stands. Amen. Verse 16. Then the people answered. Here's covenant renewal. The challenge the response. Listen, then the people answered, Far be it from us that we should forsake the Lord to serve other gods. For it is the Lord our God who brought us out of our fathers, us and our fathers up from the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery, and who did those great signs in our sight and preserved us in all the way that we went and among all the peoples through whom we passed. And the Lord drove out before us all the peoples, the Amorites who lived in the land. Therefore, we also will serve the Lord, for He is our God. That sounds good, doesn't it? All right, look at verse 19. But Joshua said to the people, you are not able to serve the Lord. Uh-oh, something happened. He will not forgive your transgressions or your sins. If you forsake the Lord and serve foreign gods, then He will turn and do you harm and consume you. After having done you good. And the people said to Joshua, No, but we will serve the Lord. Then Joshua said to the people, He gives, You getting tired of standing up? You about got this? All right. Covenant renewal, responses of the people, and then he gives the consequences, and then there are witnesses that are there for covenant renewal. Listen to this. No, but we will serve the Lord. Then Joshua said to the people, Are you witnesses? You are witnesses against yourselves. That you have chosen the Lord to serve him. And they said, we are witnesses. He said to them, them, then put away the foreign gods that are among you and incline your heart to the Lord, the God of Israel. Amen. You may be seated. I could read to the end, but it's pretty much the same part where they're going to respond. So here we go. Joshua, in chapter 22, he begins his farewell discourses. The first one is given to the leaders. And he reminds them of the great God of Israel who brought them out of the land of Egypt. He reminds them of, of the faithfulness of God. Isn't it great just to think about, let that ruminate in your mind about how faithful God is. And that's what Joshua does. He, he gives them a testimony of God's faithfulness. But then he says, there's a danger. There's a danger that we all face and that the Israelites faced. And it was the danger of turning back from the Lord and abandoning him. And God, he reminds them, has been faithful to them. He's promised to drive out all the people before them, the Canaanites and all the other ites, the Amorites, and he's done that. But he tells the people that he's going to stick to his promise. It's conditioned on something. In this text, their faithfulness. Are you going to be obedient to me and faithful to me? So if Israel turns to other gods, then the Lord will bring upon the people all the evil that he has threatened against them. That's a stern warning, isn't it? It's a serious kind of thing. 
And then in chapter 24, we have more of an explicit covenant renewal type of invitation where Joshua says to the people, God is king. If you read back, he is recounting God's faithfulness to Israel. He appeals to all the witnesses around. He gives a recitation of the blessings and cursings that are found in Deuteronomy chapter 24. If you obey me, I will bless you. If you disobey me, I will curse you. And then he says, the proper response for this is for you to love and serve God only. You know, if he's the one that brought you out of the land of Egypt and he's been faithful to you, you can trust him. You can believe him. And today you need, Joshua says with urgency, you need to go ahead and draw the line in the sand of where you're going to stand. And so, that's covenant renewal. And all of us should sense, even this day, whether it's my first Sunday here or not, that's irrelevant. For you in your own life, there needs to be seasons of commitment. There ought to be a conjoined commitment today of animating hope of what God is going to do in your life in the future. And the fact of the matter is, we all need a fresh and constant reminder to be devoted to the Lord only. But don't fail to get rid of the false gods. Right? And that's what Joshua reminds them of. Some of you got these false gods in your suitcases and you've had them in there a long time. If you're going to serve me, you've got to serve me only. And no one else. No other loyalties whatsoever. So the people respond with a commitment. And Joshua gives those consequences of their commitment. You can't turn back from serving him. If you turn back, he's going to consume, consume you. And some of you are already thinking, I'm glad this is Old Testament. Please don't say that. If you think the God of the Old Testament is not the God of the New, then you haven't read your Bible. Okay, I'm going to show you that in just a little while. But the fact of the matter is, the people end up being witnesses against their own actions. The key part of the text is verse 14 and 15, and you figured that out. He urges the people to put away false gods. And then he says this, literal rendering in the Hebrew, serve him with integrity and truth. What does that mean? You've got to serve him wholeheartedly with everything in your being. Nothing halfway is going to do it here. And so he's, he actually, the word connotes several things, wholeness, blamelessness, integrity of heart. What is Joshua seeking? Absolute, total allegiance, devotion, and loyalty to the Lord God. That's what he wants from the people. Absolute loyalty. And then 14 is freighted with theological terms in the Old Testament. Fear the Lord. That's where it all starts, right? That's the beginning of wisdom. It's to fear the Lord. Reverential awe and respect. Serve Him. If you're saved... You will serve Him. Churches miss this. They think, well, I just come and pop into church on Sunday morning, I'm done. Wrong. You can't believe in Jesus without belonging to the body. And so here, here the service aspect is clearly put in the Old Testament. And these words are so theologically freighted. And then he says integrity and truth. So he's urgently, he's trying to impress upon the people the right thing to do. And that is to serve the Lord. They had, to, they had really never gotten rid of these gods, right? Why is that? Because he says you, you had them in Mesopotamia, you had them in Egypt, and now you've got some among the Amorites. They, they just really couldn't ever quite break 
with the false gods. And Joshua again is reiterating that they've got to put these gods away. The language of choosing here is breathtaking. It's the only place in the entire Old Testament where we are called, or the people of Israel, they're called to make a choice. That doesn't happen anywhere else in the Old Testament. Do y'all know that? This language is unique to Joshua. Why? Because God is the one who usually does the choosing. But in this text, they're his people, and he's telling them to choose their loyalty. I've done these things for you, now choose your loyalty. Sounds like Romans 12, 1 and 2, right? I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, in view of God's mercy, the saving grace of Jesus, now present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable and pleasing to God, which is your sensible act of worship once he saved you. And be not conformed to this world. The J.B. Phillips translation, don't let the world squeeze you into its mold, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. I don't want to preach the New Testament today. Wouldn't do it in the Old. But here's the deal. The language of choosing, loyalty. In other words, do what Rahab did early in Joshua. She had all the gods around her. She was a prostitute. And God sends some spies. And don't think for a moment they're just trying to figure out how to get by the wall. God had a plan to save one Gentile prostitute out of Jericho. Amen? Now think about the view of God's mercy. And he's saying to them, do what Rahab did. Choose only the God of Israel because no other God exists anyway. Did you know that when you make your commitment to serve the Lord and choose Him, you're going to affect the next generation? It not only affects you, ladies and gentlemen, and you can look at, at, at First Baptist Ozark through the years, and when you failed to make the commitment and pass it on to your children, that's why they're not here today. Amen. This means yes. This means no. Let's get this straight up front. And if you're confused, go like this. All right? But folks, it's true. I'm going to show you in, Josh, in Judges in just a few moments. But our, let's do a simple Bible study. That was all the introduction. It's embellished. It's, it's, there's no embellishing going on here. It's real simple. The choice to serve the Lord, number one, is a personal choice. I almost feel embarrassed to tell you that, right? Because all of us have to know. It's very obvious. Choose you this day. In other words, this is a personal choice that you're going to have to make to serve the Lord. And the fact is, Joshua says this to everyone who's in the audience to hear. And he's speaking to a younger generation. Why? Because all the other ones are dead. They died in the wilderness. So this is monumental. He's speaking to a young generation and he's saying to them, you got to make your own choice. Nobody else can choose for you, so choose you this day. It's a personal choice. And consider the generational dynamic going on. He's 110 years of age. He's got gray on top of gray on top of gray. And he's standing up and he's encouraging these to make their decision. He reminds them that the forefathers made their decision. But what the forefathers decided to do in their generation doesn't affect you in the sense of making the decision for you. Right? You're going to have to make that decision. you got to stand up and be counted. you got to be on the Lord's side. Did you know that there's no such thing as righteousness by inheritance? Now, some of us wish that was true. Now, I would back up theologically and say, yeah, there is righteousness by inheritance. It's inherited through the Lord Jesus Christ. But in relation to your family, just because your daddy was a Christian or your granddaddy was a Christian, it doesn't make you a Christian. And somehow in the U.S., maybe I suspect by osmosis or something, 
We think that just because somebody in our family was a believer, we get a pass. And that somehow we're righteous because our family member was. Well, the old saying goes, you can be born in a garage all day long, but that won't make you a car. Right? And it is so absolutely critical for you to understand this. To have Christian parents, that's an awesome thing. It made Timothy wise unto salvation when Lois and Eunice walked with God and read the Scriptures. But Timothy had to come to the place where he made a personal decision responding to the grace of Jesus in order to be saved. It's up to you. It's your choice. There's no righteousness by inheritance, but there's also no salvation through association. Right? You're not saved this morning because you know some people and hang out with people who say they bear the name of Jesus. That doesn't give you salvation. I can't tell you how many times I've talked to men that refuse to frequent the church. And that's okay. We shouldn't expect lost people to come to church. Right? They may come. We hope they do. But we need to be going to the lost people, not asking the lost people to come to the church. It's okay to ask them to come, but if they don't, don't get heartbroken because they're lost. Right? You expect people that are lost to act lost. But how about people who profess to know the Lord and you say to them, why aren't you coming to church, so-and-so? And he says, I let the old lady in the house take care of the religious stuff, preacher. You ever heard people say that before? You know, it's almost like, well, I'm associated with the lady. She's real spiritual. I've got to be okay, right? I'm going to just go on to heaven. Well, let the little woman in the house take care of of the religion. I want to tell you something, folks. That won't carry you to heaven. You're as lost as a ball in high grass. If you believe that you can go to heaven on the coattails of anyone, you've got to choose for yourself. One of the most disturbing things in our day is the fact that young people are not choosing anymore. Now, think with me for a moment. 85% of the oldest generation at First Baptist Ozark, of your generation, 85% of you in this world, 85% are affiliated with the church. Amen? That's why you better not make the old people mad in the church. Because you won't have no money left. <laughs> Amen? Think about it now. They're the most committed. You can't be stupid all your life. All right? And the fact of the matter is they're committed. They're, they're, there's a generational thing and they're the most committed. Check this out. But of the generation born after 1976, less than 15% have made the choice and are affiliated with the faith and the church. That's staggering. And I, I would suffice to say that those born in the 90s is probably 4% from what I've read. That's an amazing thing. Well, if the truth is known, if you don't make the decision early, you usually won't make it. Statistically. God's sovereign. He can do whatever He wants to. But if you think about Barna's research and all that, that's what we see. By the way, Joshua knew which choice to make, did he not? When I was in seminary, they taught us some more tactful way, ways to do Christian counseling. And you know, you kind of let the person talk to you, and you kind of give them back what they want to hear, and you're just kind of done with it. But that's not the way Joshua acted. His philosophy was, if you know the truth, tell it. If you know the way, show it. Right? If you know the answer, give it. And Joshua says, if you've got a half a brain, you'll choose to follow Christ. It's a personal choice. Amen? Have you made the personal choice? Number two, the choice to serve the Lord is a serious choice. And I know all of you thought about this. Joshua says, 
Choose you this day whom you're going to serve. The people say in verse 16, far be it from us, we will serve the Lord. Verse 19, you can't serve the Lord. He'll turn and consume you. Why? Because he is holy and he is jealous. See, folks, I'm a firm believer that some of you, even in this building, you made this decision one time before, but you really didn't think it through. You really didn't stop long enough to think about the God you claim to belong to because this God is holy and he is jealous. Holy at its root meaning means that he is totally different from you. And we've forgotten that in the United States. We are way too familiar with God. He's not your friend. He's God of eternity. He's the Lord of the universe. We've gotten way too familiar. And yes, he has become very eminently involved with you because of Jesus, the Son of God. And if it wouldn't have been for him, there's no chance of salvation, of course. But think about this. He is holy. He's not like us. We need to reverence him. And then he's jealous. And you know why Joshua said that? You know what Joshua was thinking here? He's thinking, you people really hadn't thought about this. I know you. I've, <laughs> I've been with you and I've seen what you've done. You've, you've said numerous times, we're going to serve, we're going to serve. But, but then you turn your back on the Lord. And Joshua was saying, you better think about this God that you say you belong to. He is holy. And he is jealous. What does jealous mean? It means that he won't brook any rivals. It's God alone. Or not at all. It's not this halfway thing. It's, it's all the way. And he's reminding them of this. It's an exclusive choice, ladies and gentlemen. You ever made an exclusive decision? Now we talk about the exclusivity of Christ. What does that mean? It means there's only one way to heaven and it's through Jesus. They can shoot me today or hang me on the gallows, but I'm not going to change my mind. And it's not just personal opinion, it's the Word of God. There is no other name given among men under heaven whereby we must be saved. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, the life, and no man can come to the Father except through me. That's called the exclusivity of Christ. Salvation is exclusive. You can't get there any other way than Jesus Christ and Him alone. Well, what about this statement of the exclusivity, exclusiveness of when you commit to Him? Then you serve Him exclusively. And what does that mean, young people? That means the things that some of the things you used to do, you don't do anymore. It, in other words, things are mutually exclusive when you come to Jesus, right? For instance, some of you need, a, you need an illustration, right? You can't be a law-abiding citizen and commit crime. You're either a law-abiding citizen or you're not. Y'all getting this, right? You can't get married and act single. That don't work. Something is mutually exclusive when that takes place. Well, folks, think about the God of eternity who loved you and saved you. And when you commit to Him, the fact of the matter is, He deserves all the praise and the glory. He deserves every ounce of devotion you could ever give Him every waking moment of your life. He deserves this. This is a serious decision. Could it be that there are many among us here today that you didn't think it through? And you're saying, preacher, this is tough language. It says in there, if we make our choice and then we turn back, God will consume us like a fire. Yep, you're exactly right. And some of you are thinking, pastor, that's strong language. You haven't heard anything yet. Listen to this. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 26. For if we go on sinning deliberately after receiving the knowledge of truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a fearful expectation of judgment and a fury of fire that will consume the adversaries. Anyone who has set aside the law of Moses dies without mercy on the evidence of two or three witnesses. That's OT, right? It's pretty strong. Old Testament, listen to this. 
How much worse punishment do you think will be deserved by the one who has spurned the Son of God and has profaned the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified and has outraged the Spirit of grace? For we know him who said, Vengeance is mine, I will repay. And again the Lord will judge his people. It's a fearful thing to fall in the hands of an angry God. That's the God of the New Testament that said that. He tells the Hebrew Christians, if you don't progress in your faith, you never had it to begin with. And it's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of an angry God. So, folks, y'all got this so far? It's personal. It's serious. Some of you are thinking, man, what kind of preacher has come from Alabama, right? (laughs) Well, you're stuck with me. Community of faith, right? I set you up for it. You got to love me. I'm in the community. Amen. All right. It's it's personal. It's serious. How about this? You got to kind of read between your lines, but it's a constant choice. It's one of those choices you're going to have to make every day of your life. Now, think, think with me for a moment. You might be saying, Pastor, I don't understand. When I came to faith in Christ, I remember I was 15 years old. I made that commitment. I walked an aisle. So it's over, right? Burn all the bridges, trust Christ. Well, obviously, to come to faith in Jesus is a one-time moment when you trust Him and you're redeemed. But what I'm trying to tell you today is it's a one-time decision you made in your life that you're going to make the rest of your life. It's a constant decision that you're going to have to make. Think about this. Moses comes off the mountain, and God has given him his holy law, ten Hebrew words fleshed out in the Ten Commandments. But he says to the people, you've got to make your decision. God's delivered you out of Egypt. Are you going to serve the Lord? Moses started this. Deuteronomy chapter 32. It's your life, Moses says. That's his his swan song. He's about to die. He said, it is your life and it's not a vain thing. Serve the Lord. Well, here here we are in in the book of Joshua. Five times Joshua reiterates this to the people. Why? Because you need to be reminded who you belong to. You need to be reminded of the issue of serving the Lord. As soon as they cross the river of the Jordan, Joshua preaches to them. Stay committed. Commit your way to the Lord. In Jericho, in Ai, and in the valley of Shechem here, Joshua says to them, okay, make up your mind which way you're going to live your life. Again, at least on five occasions. We get the book of Jeremiah. He's still speaking to a rebellious people. Calcitrant people. Jeremiah says you've got to make your decision. Jeremiah preached for 40 years. Never had a single convert. I've got hope here, right? Right? And then here's Malachi. And Malachi calls on them. He says, you know what? In your worship, Some of that's unacceptable. And Malachi says, make your choice. You know, I got saved at nine. But every day of my life, I sense this prompting of the Spirit every single day. Make your decision to serve the Lord. You have to get up every single day and do this, don't you? Y'all looking at me so spiritual out there. You got all this together, right? You didn't even need to hear this sermon. As a matter of fact, you're convicted of the person sin beside you, right? Not yours. You got all this together. But the fact is, when's the last time that you committed your life to the Lord? Just wholesale, sold out, which that's all, that's the only commitment that the Lord does take, if the truth be known. When's the last time you made that commitment? Leighton Ford used to tell the story about a rich millionaire that was in a small Southern Baptist church, and everybody kind of knew his story. They knew he was a millionaire. And one particular day, the pastor started encouraging 
the people to give some money. And this old fella in his 70s, he stands up out in the congregation and he says, One day, I only had $2 to my name. Pastor made an appeal to missions when I was 35 years old. I gave that $2 and he smiled. The rest is history. I'm a multimillionaire. He goes and sits down on the front pew, and there's a lady sitting right behind him, a little lady. And she leans over in a staged voice, and she says, I dare you to do it again. <laughs> right? Now listen. Look, look at me real close. I dare you to do it again. Make your commitment to Christ. I'm going to knock this thing over. Make your commitment to Jesus. I dare you to do it again. And that's what he's trying to get them to say. Do it. Now, you know this, folks. When temptations come, what do you have to do? you got to make that decision. you got to remember who you belong to. When everybody else, young people, is not making this constant decision to walk for Christ, and they're choosing drugs and premarital sex, are you going to, any old dead fish can float with the current. It takes somebody who's alive in Christ to stand up and make that constant decision that's going to affect those around them. Y'all going to learn how to respond to me and not just be a spectator before long, right? I need participators in here. The fact is, look, look at the detriment of not making the choice. Flip over one page. While I'm in the neighborhood, I might as well drop in. Here it is, Judges chapter 2. If you don't make the choice constantly, here's what happens. Verse 6, when Joshua dismissed the people, the people of Israel went each to his own inheritance to possess the land, and the people served the Lord all the days of Joshua all the days of the elders who outlived Joshua. Looks good so far. And Joshua, the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died at the 110 years, and they buried him within the boundaries of his inheritance in timnath Harris, in the hill country of Ephraim, north of the mountain of Gash. And all the generations also were gathered to their fathers. Check this out. And there arose another generation after them who did not know the Lord. Or the work that he had done for Israel. Look at verse 12. They forgot the God who brought them out of Egypt. They went after other gods. I mean, folks, he doesn't no more finish the sermon to the people. They're, do you understand how close you are for the next generation not serving the Lord? Do you all realize that's what we're in in the United States of America right now? What will the next generation know of our God if we don't rehearse His faithfulness and His glory and His promises? Where are they going to get it from? Just a reminder, personal choice, serious choice, constant choice. And finally, the choice to serve the Lord is an urgent choice. Choose you this day. Does everybody feel that? You've got to choose it this day. Ladies and gentlemen, I want you to know that there's a sense of urgency, even with your life today. There's a sense of urgency in the life of this church, of what we're going to do for the Lord. And if you have not made that choice, I want to remind you, it is even more urgent today than yesterday, that you make your choice for the king. Our Joshua didn't say, okay guys, let's think about this for a moment, have a couple of Baptist joint committee meetings, and maybe next week we'll make our decision. No, Joshua says, make it today. It is extremely urgent. Now, I'm, also, I'm almost uncomfortable saying this to you because you're well-learned, learned, learned Baptist people, right? But there are only two choices you can make this morning. There's only really two people groups in the world, saved and lost. 
Folks, you realize there's no in-between, but we've, we've kind of blurred those, vi- those lines because we really think people are okay no matter what faith they're in. But I'm telling you now, folks, when it comes to Christian vernacular, biblically, you only have two kinds of people in the world, saved and lost. So you really only have one of two choices today. Only through Christ can you be saved. Apart from Christ, you're headed toward eternal damnation, even as I speak. Let me tell you about somebody who was saved. How about, how about Ruth and Rahab? How about Rahab sitting behind the walls of Jericho? Just think about this. Totally away from the only God who existed. And God sends these spies in there and God's doing more than just knocking down a wall. And, and then she receives the God of eternity. And bless the Lord of heaven, here is a prostitute and a Gentile that's a castaway that is far, is totally far away from God as you could ever be. And when you read Matthew chapter 1, she's in his genealogy. She's in the genealogy of Jesus. Hello? That's what God can do with a person. Here's what happens in the story of Rahab. Grace sought her. Faith responded. And when grace and faith come to you, it will change your life. How about Ruth? She's down in Moab. She's a Moabite damsel. She's lost as a ball in high grass, just like Rahab. And God sends Naomi down there with her husband. And and it's terrible days, and they know there's a famine in the land, but God's got a plan. And he picks up Ruth, and he continues that genealogy, or begins, continues that genealogy with Rahab, leading up to the greatest king Israel will ever have, and his name was David. And guess what? Go read Matthew chapter 1, and there's Ruth. There's four women in the genealogy of Jesus, and every one of them were outcasts. Think about that. That's what grace does. It can change your life. But think on the flip side. Here's here's what it means to be saved. Sins are forgiven. You're living in the realm of eternal life right now if you're saved. It's the already and the not yet. It's coming in the future, yes, but you're in the realm of eternal life right now if you're saved and your sins are forgiven and the Lord is your Lord. God is your King. But on the flip side, when you say someone is lost, it means they've never made a choice for Christ. They're, they're in their sins, and they're moving toward eternal damnation. Do you know why this is so urgent? We're going to land the plane right here. Because life is so short. Brevity of life. Some of you high schoolers are going to graduate, and other, other high school graduate friends won't graduate. They're not alive today. Y'all realize that, don't you? There were at least five of my high school friends that, that never saw the stage of graduation, they died. Or shortly, very shortly after. Uh, We're just reminded of the brevity of life and we think, uh, I'm going to live forever. Why should I even worry about this? You know, I I remember like yesterday standing at the marriage altar and begging this woman to marry me and she submitted to it, right? And I was 20 years old. And now I look back and I'm 46 and where has the time gone? Ladies and gentlemen, life... There's such a brevity to it. James says it like this. It's like a vapor. You know what that means? It means your life is not a whole lot more substantial than an early morning fog that burns away. But it's also uncertain. Just think about not only the brevity, but how uncertain life is. You just never know. Life has a way of getting away from you. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Joshua took his stand. 
And I'll just go ahead and tell you today, they, none of you go with me, I'm still going to follow. You remember that in the song? Though none go with me, I still will follow. Right? Though none go with me, I still will follow. Some of you are thinking, you know what, preacher, you don't realize what I've done. You don't realize what a sinner I am. I don't think God can save me. I want to remind you of something. You are worse in His eyes than you are in yours. By far. And yet He still loved you and died for you. He died for you when you were still in your sins. Dark is the stain that we cannot hide. What could avail to wash it away? Look, there is flowing a crimson tide. Whiter than snow you may be today. God can do that. Grace that is greater than all of Heap up all your sins. His grace is so much greater. So much more powerful. He can save you. Make that choice today to trust Jesus only as your Lord. And for saved people, it's time we commit. Not half-heartedly. Wholeheartedly to the Lord. As for me and my house, Joshua made his choice. I'm making mine. Will you make yours? Amen. Father, thank you for your word. God, I pray today that you will use the preached word. Lord, I cannot change a life. Lord, only you can affect change in someone's heart. God, would you, the God of glory, be pleased to visit souls today. We're totally at your mercy. You alone can save. You are worthy of our worship. Father, may you work in hearts today. And we're going to give you glory for it, Lord. Not man. Not for man's sake. Sola de gloria. To you alone, all the glory you receive as our God. Father, would you work in hearts. If there's one individual who is in their sins and they're not forgiven, and they know they're on their way to eternal damnation in a place called hell, Lord, would you interpose your grace upon their lives. Let them see the magnitude of their sin and the beauty of Jesus, Father. May your Spirit draw them to you. Lord, may your Spirit draw them and awaken them to their situation. And may you make them alive today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Our musicians have made their way to the front. Brother Dave is going to lead and some, a hymn of invitation. Brother Chris is going to be down as well. If God has worked in your heart, would you respond to the Lord? Right? I joke, with our, I joke a lot. We think that when the sermon's over, we zip up our Bibles. You ever heard that? Zip! 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 Now, folks... The most important thing about the sermon is what you're going to do with it. The real acid test of any service is whether service ensues after you leave. All right? Let's stand together. Let's sing together.